truth is, I am Iron Man. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Does It Hold Up podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And you know the drill here. We talk about older movies to decide if they still hold up to today's standards. This week, we're getting super. In fact, this might be the start of a super month. And if you listened to our podcast on Tuesday, you got a little hint about this movie being about a man who can fly. Though it's not who you think. Yes, it is not who you think. (laughs) No, we're not going back all the way to Superman the movie, although that will get covered eventually. We are only going back 14 years to 2008, May 2nd, Iron Man. Where it all began. Where the MCU took off, which is probably the... Uh, Sorry to say, Star Wars, you have officially been replaced as the biggest franchise of all time. Yeah, easily. Not just amount of movies, but just the fandom, the theories, the videos made, the podcasts made, the everything. Like, it's bigger than Star Wars. Well, kind of. If you go off of all the, the millions of books that were written about Star Wars that are somewhat canon, it, it, it can kind of rival it. No. <laughs> no, because none of those books, like, for every 100 books written, three become canon. So you can't include them. Even the ones that are technically canon, you can't include those. That's not part of the franchise of films. I guess. Like, I'm not reading a book so I can understand more about this one character that showed up in one movie one time. That's not, that's not how franchise works. Sure, they have a lot of material, but come on. The MCU is the biggest franchise of all time in movies. And now they're starting to take over TV shows. Yeah. You know, Disney Plus has been good to the Marvel Universe expansion. Except the fact that some of them are getting season twos, which I don't really care for. I like them as little mini series better. Yeah, I, that's kind of my thought too. Is like I loved Loki season one, and I only watched it because I thought it was a standalone. I thought it was just like all the other shows, like WandaVision, one season done. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, one season done. I thought it was going to be that. I thought it was just going to be nice storytelling get out maybe it sets up something in the future but we get out Mm -hmm. because for all our listeners out there i got a weird thing about me i don't watch tv shows unless they have three seasons so don't come at me being like hey did you see this new tv no i didn't watch that new tv show no i didn't watch that tv show from a year ago until it gets three seasons i'm not watching it even then you'll get burned i've been burned way too many times where i get into a show and then it gets canceled or something happens that it just can't finish and they have a really great season and nothing left. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't like it. Literally me with pretty much every single Netflix show that I watch. Dude, ne- I don't, don't, don't even ask. Don't tell me about a Netflix show. Don't be like, hey, Adam, did you check out that newest Netflix? No, Netflix is notorious for canceling crap. So no, I didn't watch that Netflix show. Especially since they like 
love to leave their stuff on cliffhangers. I have watched. And then cancel it. I've watched three Netflix shows. Four. Three. Three. No. Four. Four Netflix shows. <laughs> I've watched The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah. It was interesting, but it had four seasons. when I, well, Everything was out by the time I started. Yeah. I, I have watched one. Cobra Kai, but I did it's on not watch season five, so we're all good. <laughs> I have watched Umbrella Academy, but I didn't watch it until season three. I, and it's I already been greenlit for season four, so I'm stoked for that. And I have watched Stranger Things, which just had season four and is getting their last season, season five, in like two years because the people who make that show have no f- clue what they're doing. <laughs> like, I avoided that one. These... I just couldn't get with all the hype and the craze. Oh, it was great at first. The hype and the craze, it totally lived up to it. But then they took like 17 years between seasons and now they're taking another 58 years between seasons and just all momentum gone. I can't say much. I was super into Sherlock when it came out and that had like oh my God, good it's the worst. gaps between seasons. They had gaps between episodes. Who are we kidding? <laughs> it was like, hey, season three, episode but one. Hey, when all of your episodes are an hour and a half, it's okay. It's a dang movie at that point. Yeah terrible movies because no i love that show so no good. no no. The anyway good, anyway we've gotten so off topic i don't care all right. <laughs> iron man let's get back to yeah the mcu just gets me going all right let's get back to <laughs> iron you did not man need here. to know that <laughs> iron man uh from 2008 is about tony stark who is a weapons manufacturer and a billionaire and a philanthropist and a playboy and a genius and an inventor I think I covered them all. Yeah, I think you even added the inventor. I don't think he even says that one. Yeah, but he is an inventor. He should probably take credit for that. He really should. So he gets blown up while visiting, I believe it's Afghanistan in this movie because they were trying to keep it modern. Yeah, I don't even think they said probably so that it wouldn't have that issue. It's Afghanistan, though. Whether they said it or not, it's, yeah. it's pretty noticeable. They did a really good job. Sorry to cut you off here, but they did a really good job of like making it so you didn't necessarily know exactly where he was because they had people speaking like 10 different languages. Yeah, absolutely. So he gets blown up there and kidnapped so that he'll build bombs for basically terrorists. Mm-hmm. But instead, he builds a weapon. It's a giant suit with armaments galore rocket launchers, flamethrowers, whatever yeah, pretty you Pretty much a mech suit. Machine. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and it's all powered by a little arc reactor that he has to wear in his chest because when he got blown up, there was shrapnel shoved into his chest, fighting its way to his heart. So this little arc reactor basically works as like a little magnet that mm-hmm. pulls the shrapnel back and stops it from getting to his heart because he can't remove it for some reason. Well, I guess because he's in the middle of a cave at this point. So after he escapes the cave, he gets home and changes his entire billion-dollar industry and says, I'm no longer making weapons. And then he starts to get into work on an advanced version of the suit from the cave. And that's our Iron Man suit. And then he has to fight the bad guy in this, who is his business partner, who's actually the one who put the hit on him in the first place, which is great little twist. And that pretty much covers the summary of Iron Man. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, little things here and there, but this is very much a, a movie, a origin superhero story that just kind of sprinkles in that little corporate espionage, espionage type mm-hmm. stuff. 
which is mwah, chef's kiss on that. All right. You got anything you want to say about the summary? No, you covered it pretty well. Excellent. Hard. Let's get into our characters here yeah. and actors. There's a lot. We're going to run through a couple of the smaller ones real quick, and then we'll get into the big guys. First up, we got Happy Hogan, played by John Favreau, who was also the director of the movie. Thoughts on the character and thoughts on him as a director. Go. Character, we didn't get too much of him in this movie. No, he definitely I, gets expanded in the next two movies. Yeah, I seem to recall that he had a bigger role in this because like everyone was just so up on him, like loved him, that I I thought he was so much bigger in this movie but he wasn't yeah no he really wasn't he was just kind of like hey here's a scene with him hey here's another scene and call it a day so very interesting uh what do you think of him as director of this movie how did he do i mean i think he did a good job we'll probably get more into that later when we get into the what yeah i think it was, doesn't work i think it was pretty good um started a whole obviously franchise yeah. if this movie didn't work it would have been a lot different so you know all credit to him and the writers and just everybody involved all right, next up, we have Jarvis, who's just a voice played by Paul Bettany, who would later go on to be Vision mm-hmm. in future movies, but he didn't know that doing this one. He just signed on to be a voice of Tony's AI system. He did such a good job bringing in that sass, but also being robotic enough to be like, I am such a dry wit because I am AI, basically. And Dude. so I don't necessarily have emotions or anything, but I'm going to be sassy AF. Uh, so I've had Alexa in my life, and I have had Google in my life. Those are the two AI systems I've had. You also had Siri. I did have Siri for a little while as well. And, like, he sounded just like them. A little more human because mm-hmm. he's more advanced than them, but it was spot on. Just he nailed that. And he got paid a boatload of money for, like, a week of work to record his voice. And then he went on vacation. Like, that's his whole story every time people ask him about working on this movie. He's like, oh, yeah, I worked for a week. I got paid a bunch of money. And then I went on vacation with my hot wife, Jennifer Connelly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, I cannot imagine anyone else being in that role. That voice is just iconic. Yeah. He is officially and forever... Jarvis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then obviously Vision. Next up, we have Agent Coulson, who makes his debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Everybody makes their debut, I guess, because this was the first movie. Played by Clark Gregg, who would go on to be a huge part of the Avengers movie and then get his own spinoff series called Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think? I know he wasn't in a lot, but... Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but I love him, so I had to mention him. I didn't even write him down because he's such a bit part in this movie. He does great, obviously. That's why they bring him back and why they make him more of a central character than what he probably could have been had the had he not done so well. So all props to him. I basically wrote him down for one reason and one reason only. Hashtag justice for Coulson. Because he never appears in another movie. After Avengers? After Avengers. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Like, Listen, you Disney. showed that he existed, that he didn't die with your TV show, and yet you don't have right, the... You, you get, like, a subtle nod to him, I think, in uh, Age of Ultron, maybe. 
a, a, a later so. movie, you get a know. subtle nod to him, but like they don't say him by name. But like, come like on. is his life? He, he is. Are are they trying to keep him a secret from all these people? Like it makes absolutely or no sense. Or is Agents of Shield just a dream, and he's actually dead? Hmm. Could be. I don't know. Weird. All right. Next up, we have, and this is where we're going to get into some of the bigger names. First one I want to talk about, just because I love him and I don't think he gets enough credit in this movie, is uh, the guy who helps Tony Stark build the first Iron Man suit in the cave, Yinsen, played by Sean Taub, or Tube. I'm not real sure how to pronounce his last name. Don't look at me for pronunciations. But I wasn't. I was looking to you to tell me how you feel about that guy, about he, that character, about that actor. He is so pure. Like, how many people would meet this guy, save his life, and then be willing to have, like, hot holes put in his mouth to to do his crazy little scheme to get out, knowing full well that you're not going to get out, that his goal was basically not to get out. Right, that's that's the worst part for me um, when it comes to this character. I love this character. Uh, I don't think people talk about this character enough, and they probably should, but it just blows my mind that they go through all this stuff and he buys time and everything. And as he's dying, he literally is just like, this was always the end game. I, this was always the plan. I was going to die. My whole family is already dead. So when I said, I need to go see my family, this is 100% what I meant. Dude, when... I, I'm trying not to do spoilers for later on in the, the series, but his death is more impactful to me than some of the characters' deaths we get later Spoiled on. Spoiled it. It doesn't matter. These movies have been I don't, out for I care more a about while. his death than Tony's death. Absolutely. In Endgame. Uh, it, it's a great moment in Endgame when Tony Stark sacrifices himself. Yeah. But I didn't get as emotionally impacted as I did with somebody like Yinsen, mm-hmm. who is such a minuscule part. But, like, let's be honest. Without Yinsen, the MCU doesn't exist not at all because tony dies not only does tony die but even if someone else saved him you don't have that character you don't have someone who's like make your life mean something he's the emotional crux for tony's change he is the colson of that movie the avengers you know yeah colson yeah he's he's that emotional moment that tony needs to be like look at what my weapons did they killed my friend Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes it real to him, and that's what makes him change, and that's why it's like I had to talk about Yinsen because he's so big in this movie, and yet so tiny at the same time that nobody really ever talks about him when yeah. they talk about these movies. So, hashtag justice for Yinsen as well. <laughs> Next up, real quick, James Rhodes played by played by Terrence Howard, who gets replaced in the next movie. Mm-hmm. By Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just get the let's just get this out of the way. So Terrence Howard wanted a bunch of money. He was the highest paid actor uh, for this movie for Iron Man One, and then because they you know Robert Downey Jr. who we're going to talk about in a little bit was coming off some problems in his life. He had gone to jail, substance abuse, like all this stuff, and Hollywood was looking down on him. So they didn't pay him a bunch of money. They just took a gamble on him and said, hey, we're going to put you in this movie. Let's see what happens. But Terrence Howard was coming off like Hustle and Flow, I think, was out shortly before this or right around this. Like Empire was starting. Like he was a big commodity. He got paid a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. 
Then in the second movie, he wanted, well, Albert Downey Jr. got a raise. So Terrence Howard was like, I should also get a raise. You guys told me I'd get a raise if the first movie did well. But Disney and Marvel were like, hey, you know, well, Marvel at the time, Disney hadn't bought them out yet, I don't think. Mm. Uh, no, they did buy Iron Man 2. Disney did buy them. Said, hey, listen, we took all the money and we gave it to Robert Downey Jr. because he's the star of the movie, so you'll have to take it up with him. And Terrence Howard was like, F that guy. And Disney was like, cool, F you, and fired him. And they replaced him with Don Cheadle. Let's just, let's just admit, Don Cheadle's way better in this role. <laughs> I like Terrence Howard. I think he was fine in this movie. I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't think he was great in this movie. I honestly thought he was boring in one note. He almost felt like he was in a different film altogether. Well, that's because, you know, he's a he's a high-ranking officer in the military. Mm-hmm. He's not exactly a jovial person. I... Like, what did you expect from him? You wanted him to crack jokes, put on a wig, throw some makeup on, no. be a clown? Okay, so I guess I'm, you know, uh, how, does, how to put it, spoiled? With the Don Cheadle version and his kind of chemistry with RDJ. Yeah, but don't look at those. We're looking at the one movie. I understand that, but I, I kind of can't because now looking at this movie, I'm like, they have no chemistry. It looks like they have more tension than friendship in their relationship. So it do, it didn't look like friendship to me. I was like, why is this person like his go-to guy when he's almost the antithesis of what Tony is? Which is exactly what they build upon in the later movies. But you can't blame this character for... That's the writers. You're, you're looking at it like, oh, I didn't like that character because the writers wrote him bad. Sure, you can look at that. But like, as the acting, as Terrence Howard and that character, you can't sit here and go, that was bad. I didn't like it. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that's a shame for you. Um... <laughs> I thought he was fine. He was serviceable. I don't think he was, like, great. I don't think he was a super standout. But at the same time, it was like, man, I would have loved to see what he could do if only he could have got his ego in check. But I'm glad we got Don Cheadle because I'm a big Don Cheadle fan. Mm -hmm. And he got that big role that he needed. All right, next up we have Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm -hmm. I'll start this one. Okay. I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've never met her but I've read a lot of articles about her. I know about her whole like business and whatever other things she's got going on. Um, she also named her kid Apple and that just bothers me to no end. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Just I don't know why so celebrities do such odd names. But I don't really, I've never really liked her as an actress either. It's just kind of like, eh, she's always boring for me. I think she definitely grows a little as Pepper Potts as the movies go on. But I think this is the bulk of where she does the most work in every movie, in any movie she's in. This is the movie she does the most work. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of so, so, so for me. She falls flat. Like, there's a few little moments where I'm like, that's really good. Like, when Tony gets off the plane after being rescued, the smile she gives, I really enjoy that. But then when, like, she's talking, I'm just like, eh, whatever. Just fast forward. Skip, 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 skip. See? Now this is where I have the opposite opinion again. I thought she did it very well like having to be subtle about her emotions but also still like displaying all of them like as if she couldn't actually hold them down and it also kind of makes me understand why they put more of her in the future films sans like a few of them that I'm I think was like 
backstage issues kept her out of movies. But for me, she plays, like, she feels like Tony's equal in this movie, even though she's just his assistant at this point. She feels like, okay, yeah, this this would be the woman to tame Tony. And by tame, I put that in quotes. I mean, she feels like an assistant this entire movie. I, I, I guess I read more into it than you really, did. Well, because, so here's here's the, always the problem of covering the first movie in a franchise where you've seen pretty much every movie in this franchise. It's really hard to separate what you know is coming versus what you're currently watching. So I think sometimes a lot of your stuff is like, hey, subconsciously I know where her character goes, so I'm reading into this and going, oh, yeah, she's so good. Look at what she did because I know what's going to happen next. I think people just do that. Like, it's impossible not to do that. And yet you see her as this bland nothing of a I don't think she's great in any any of the other movies either. I think making her a crucial point in Iron Man 3 was a terrible mistake. It's my least favorite thing about Iron Man 3. Mm, And there's not a lot to like about that movie. I love Iron Man 3. Let's not get into that. Um, I know everybody hates like the weird twist in Iron Man 3, but Pepper Potts is the worst part of that movie for me. Eh. Her getting weird extremist powers. The whole like, the one thing I like about Pepper Potts is in Endgame when they're fighting and she's wearing the rescue suit and they go back to back. Her and Tony go back to back and shoot their repulsors. Mm-hmm. That's a cool moment. That is like the ending of their arc together and it's wonderful. But I just, Whatever. She she could be replaced by anybody, and I'm I'm cool with it. Her as an actress, probably not that great, but her as a character, I like. Up next, we have Obadiah Stane, who ends up being the bad guy mm-hmm. in this, but he is Tony's business partner, helps him run Stark Industries, and he is played by the incomparable and always wonderful, and if you have anything negative to say, we will fight Jeff Bridges. Are you ready to fight? Yeah, let's do this. No, I'm just kidding. I have nothing bad to say about okay, this man. Well, <laughs> um, no, he is so deliciously sinister, and he is almost better on a rewatch because you can really see the th- the bits that you know at first watch you would see as just him being thoughtful and caring towards this person who he has always like had in his life, who basically looks at a, at him as like a second father. But on the rewatch, you're like, oh no. Oh no, you can kind of see the behind the scenes of this is actually more sinister than what we initially thought. I'm not sure where you're getting the whole like father thing. I don't think they're that far enough apart in age for it to be like, I look at him as a second father. I like everything else you said, but that part. I mean, he they're talking about how he and his dad were building the company together. Yeah, that's super weird too, because canonically and time wise, some of that just doesn't it makes work no with the rest sense, of the MCU. But you know, I have to go based on um, this movie. I think Jeff Bridges is just always great. Like, put that man in things. Everything that he does is really good, except for I know some people really hate certain movies of his, like R.I.P.D. with Ryan Reynolds, but I will defend that movie. I think it actually has a lot of good, and uh, we will cover that one time. Because this is when you I can't go, wait to talk about it. You can't bat a thousand. You can't, but he bats about nine ninety eight. That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, that's excellent. 
Yeah, and then as Obadiah Stane, like, it's a great, it's one of the standout villains in the entire Marvel franchise for me, mostly because Jeff Bridges is such a good actor that he brings his character to life, because I'm like, is that what Elon Musk is like in real life? <laughs> is he going to come out in a giant right, like, suit? And well, I'm thinking of like CEOs and stuff of major corporations. Like uh, Jeff Bezos is definitely an Obadiah Stane. Willing to kill whoever gets in his way? He will murder his business partners if he has to. <laughs> I, uh, he will blow up his own Amazon warehouses if he has to. Although like, his whole... Thing makes no sense like his whole plot and i'll get to that later yeah stop stop I'm, saying I'm you're gonna get to ahead. stuff later i'm jumping ahead because my brain thought of it right now so and... he's just he's wonderful and he's a great villain because at the beginning you can totally read this as in well he's the partner of the business tony's losing his damn mind of course he wants it to get more under control he wants tony under control he wants to be a part of things you can read it that way so when the flip comes, like, sure, you might have called it. You might have been like, he's the bad guy. Because either you read the comics or you knew going in or you weren't going to have Jeff Bridges in your movie just to be the partner at the business. He was going to play a bigger role at some point. You know, it's always the hard part about casting big names. You know they're going to play a big role in the movie. So, like, you could have known, but it didn't matter. The twist was still great because of the way the character was written and the way Bridges acted it. It was just, oh, chef's kiss, spot on. Absolutely loved it. Oh, dude, and his voice when he's in the suit. Oh, so good. His voice, period. Seriously. All right, last but not least is Tony Stark, our main character, played by the troubled, at the time, Robert Downey Jr. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to really say much about his... Um his performance as the character, I'm going to talk about the character more, mostly because, you know, RDJ has kind of gone down in history as the Tony Stark, and I I can't disagree with that. He kind of just is that character. Um, but I will talk about Tony and the fact that I actually love how he is always unashamedly himself. Like, he does everything with such sincerity that you just kind of feel for him and you kind of like side with him even if what he's doing is just kind of dumb or whatever or you you don't really agree with the things that he's doing him womanizing but he's just so sincere and lovable in his like own way that i, I can see why a franchise was made made based off of this character it's such a well-written character where you can see i'm a big comic book guy I love comic books. I have a couple, like thousands of comic books. I love them, collect them, read, doesn't matter, DC, Marvel, all of it. I know the characters. This was a character ripped from the page. Like you could see hints of the comic Iron Man, Tony Stark, in this. Like they don't reference his alcoholism, but he's definitely an alcoholic in this. I mean, he's drinking all the time, so it's right. like, it's... A good example of show, don't tell. Yeah, there's so many subtle nods to who he is. And then Robert Downey Jr. just coming off of the life that he had and how it all got ruined and taken away and how this was going to be his comeback, I think he embraces that. I think this is almost like the perfect melding 
And there's one other casting in this this franchise that I think's just as good, but for right now, this is the perfect meld of actor meet character. Mm-hmm. Like, could I see other people in this role? Sure. Would it be as good? No. Tony Stark is Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Not just because he plays him, but his life is like him. He got to the point of, like, extreme uh, celebrity and all this and let it spiral down and had to come back and change his entire life. And that's Tony Stark's whole thing. He got to the top of the mountain, ego everything. He got crushed by the weight of what was happening around him and had to build himself back up. This is a perfect melding of character and actor. I don't think it gets better than this. And I'm not even talking about in the Marvel Universe. I'm talking about in any movie. I think this is one of the most perfect castings in the history of film. As crazy as that sounds. Fight me if you want, but that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I won't fight you on that. I actually appreciate that he put a lot more into this role than even is shown in this movie to where it's like you can kind of see where this character is going to end up in the future installments in just this movie you can see where he's heading like he this is a very flawed character always has been always will be basically in trying to correct his one flaw he tends to go too far in the extreme of another so we're getting like the angry stark the stark that doesn't care about his life like all those Uh, future beats that he goes through you can see hints of that budding in this movie so it's a really nice thing to see and so well done with the details absolutely all right we got to move on because we have talked a lot we were supposed to go through that fast and it didn't happen so moving on quickly we have the critical response first up we always start with roger ebert who gave this movie four stars when he saw it now, the thing is, Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert did not get to see this when it came out. He was dealing with a broken hip and being hospitalized and in therapy, and unfortunately, he didn't even have a chance to see this critic screening, so he had to watch it three weeks after it already had released, and he had been hearing things and probably slightly tainted by other people's reviews that he followed. Hopefully, that didn't affect his rating, but he did give it four stars. So, pretty good for a superhero movie. That's a perfect movie in his eyes. Here is the quote from him. A lot of big budget FX epics seem to abandon their stories with half an hour to go and just throw effects at the audience. This one has a plot so ingenious it continues to function no matter how loud the impacts, how enormous the explosions. It's an inspiration to provide Tony with that heart-saving device He's vulnerable, not simply because Obadiah might destroy him, but because he might simply run out of juice. And if that's not an encapsulation of this entire movie, I don't know what is, Mm. where it's just there's this weird ticking clock on the entire movie that they don't really reference, but you know it's there and where it goes and how they get there. It's just great. Uh, Current Rotten Tomatoes critic score is 94%. I think that's right in line where I'd think it would be. Yeah. Audience score is 91%. Really? Yeah, I'm a little shocked by that. I thought it'd be a little bit higher, probably tied with 
the critics around 94, 95 is mm-hmm. where I would expect it to be. So I'm a little shocked at it being so low at 91. Yeah, that seems almost review bombed at that point. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if people have gone back after seeing where the whole franchise has gone and maybe dinged this movie because of what happened in Iron Man 2 and 3 and other movies. You know, it, it can just skew a little bit. We've, t- we've had this conversation where you can watch a sequel to a movie and it kind of ruins the first movie a little bit because of how bad it is. That constantly happens, actually. So I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe that's part of this. Could be. All right. And then throwing in a new score here. When, when I can, the new, because they don't go that far back, but it's cinema score. Cinema score, if you guys don't know, is a great place if you're going to see a movie and it's not like the first day, if it's not the opening weekend, check cinema score. It's a place where they have people grade a movie having seen it for the first time. What's their initial reaction? And the grade is basically based on did it live up to your expectations? Not was it a good movie or a bad movie, but if you expected an action comedy and you went in and got a horror movie, give it an F. But if you expected an action comedy and you got a great action comedy, give it an A. That's kind of what their judging system is. So it's a little bit different than like the Rotten Tomatoes scores, the IMDb scores. So that's why I like using it. This movie got an A. A. Right in the middle of the A's. And I think that's right in line. That's that's basically a 93 to 96%. Yeah, you're always going to have that one couple of people who are like, well, they didn't make it completely exactly how I wanted it, so... So, it's an F. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the box office. It had a budget of about $140 million. What do you think of that? Seems like a good amount at really? the time. Seems really high. I mean, this is the first movie in a franchise that they didn't know if it was going to be successful or not, and yet they were still willing to shell out that kind of cash for it? Yeah, special effects. Yeah, but you would think something like that. It's like, all right, uh, here's 60 to 70 million. If it works, if it's successful, we'll give you more on the next one. But to start at 140, like, no wonder the Marvel movies cost like $400 million to make now. Yeah. You started off bad by making the first one for so much. Well, luckily it's, it's paid it, off. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but that's, that's a huge gamble. Domestically, it made $318,604,126. So it paid off. Kind of. You always got to take into the budget. Then you got to add the marketing and all that stuff and any points on the back end for actors or directors. So, you know, you always got to go up a little bit from the budget. But mm-hmm. still, $300 million domestically for an unproven project, that's pretty good. Internationally, it made another $266,567,421 for a worldwide total of $585,171,000. 547, which by my standards is a lot, but by the MCU standards, ain't that great. I'm sure it was a lot at the time. I mean, this is only 2008. It's only 14 years ago. No, no, no. I mean, great for the MCU at the time because, you know, it's the first MCU. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> it was a joke. Was um, but I'm just saying, like, even the worst MCU movies now make four or five hundred million worldwide easily mm-hmm. that's what this one made and it's the first it's people love this movie so just shocking last thing the home market because mm-hmm. you know this is 
before all the streaming hit. So you still had people buying stuff. The DVDs on sale brought in an estimated 183 million in DVD sales. Blu-ray, 15 million only. Hmm. So home sales brought in about 198 million dollars. What do you think of that? Probably not accurate since uh, I feel like a, they probably came in a set after that and that didn't count towards its own money. So like they bundled some of the movies together and that's how people got it because like everyone owns this movie. Well, yeah, but I mean, think about it. 183 million in DVD sales. Yeah. Like even if they bundled it, pretty much everybody had bought it already at that point. They were just buying the bundle to... You have know, the better it. version. Yeah, have the better version or whatever. But 183 million when you're thinking like what DVDs cost 20 bucks when they were brand new, right? I think so. Roughly, yeah, like I don't know. That's a ton of units to sell to get up to 198 million dollars. Well, yeah, everyone had to own it. Exactly. <laughs> I saw it. It was just weird for you to say like that's a little lower than you expected. That's a lot. That's about exactly where I expected it to be. Oh, I just mean like. That's a great number, but I don't think it's accurate because I think it didn't count, like, the bundles that it's been in. Because I feel like it should be higher by now. Yeah, maybe. They probably stopped tracking it after a while when streaming and everything started to be popular. Probably. They were like, eh, who cares? All right. Let's get into it. What holds up in this movie? Talk to me about the good things, the things that are just... You can watch it today and go, man, that's still good. What holds up for you? A lot of mine are uh, like the fundamentals of movie making, <laughs> actually. Um, I put it has great editing. It hits beats all uh, like at the right time every time. It's so good. Uh, it has great pacing. It never really lags, nor does it like hold everything until the end. It's just kind of really steady all the way through where it builds you up, lets you come back down at really nice times. So I think that's great. Uh, the the subtle flirting between Tony and Pepper. I love it. You don't have to love it because you don't love Pepper. But I enjoyed it. Uh, two other things that I have written down is the score. It always gets me pumped. Like seriously. Not just the like named songs, but like the the beat behind him as he's like getting all suited up in his Mark II for the first time about to go flying. Like that just gets me pumped. Like, yeah, let's go every time. And then finally the visual effects. I would think after all this time, it would kind of just be like, eh, it doesn't look that great. But watching it again this time, I'm like, dang, that still looks so good. Like it all looks so real still. Which is incredible because, you know, so much of it is CGI. It definitely gets wonky at parts, though. Like, I, it's not perfect through the whole movie. No, like, nothing ever is, though. But, like, it's pretty good to where I don't really notice or just don't care at the point where it said it gets wonky. <laughs> is that it? That's all the stuff that holds up for you in this movie? Those are the main things, but that's pretty much everything about a movie. I know, but, like, what are the detail stuff? What, do you, what are the small things that really hold up for you? What do you just love about this movie? Mostly the, the characters. Most of their interactions with each other and just... It's a fun 
movie that gets you pumped every time you watch it. You have all the feels, and it is a fun ride. All right. What about you? Anything else? You got anything else? For the Does It Hold Up section? Yeah. No. Cool. Um, so here's here's a few things that really hold up for me. I love the fact that Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark is not jacked. He's not ripped. It doesn't look like he spends 15 hours a day in the gym. I mean, he still eats. is pretty muscular. He's really not, though, when you look at him. Like, he looks like a average guy build. Yeah, but then you see him hammering the face mask of the first of Mark One, and you're like, dang. Yeah, a little bit, but that's that's a dude who just uses his hands for a living. That's like, fair. He loves building stuff. You don't think he's hauling around heavy equipment? I mean, he's no Thor, but... Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, are you missing my point here? <laughs> like, you're like, oh, he's totally jacked, but he's no Thor. That's the point. He's He's average. He's not a dude that spends hours in the gym. It's just a dude who's got some muscle on him and i absolutely love that i love that i love that pepper potts is not i don't get me wrong i love scarlett johansson she should be in more things big fan of hers she's gorgeous but pepper potts is not 36 24 36 yeah she's, she's pretty... sticky she's a little stick figure it's great Hi, happy hogan husky boy he's a husky boy love it even Terrence Howard as James Road, we never get to see him really like in a sleeveless shirt or anything, so we don't know. But he doesn't look like he hits the gym a thousand times a day. Yeah. And Obadiah Stane looks like a drunk, happy CEO who has the best scotch in the world and eats chef-cooked meals every night. That dude has got a gut, and I love it. These people feel so real, and it all starts with Tony Stark not being ripped to high heaven. And I love that, because that makes these characters so much more relatable and achievable. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't give unrealistic body standards. Right, not like, obviously, not Tony Stark's intelligence. That's not believable. That's not achievable by most standards. But, like, his body is. Go hit the, go hit working on a farm for, like, a year. You can have Tony Stark's body, no problem. <laughs> Snap of a finger. Not not an Infinity Gauntlet joke. <laughs> um, I also really liked the tension. So later in the movie, there's the scene where Pepper Potts is trying to steal data off of Tony uh, off of Stark Industries' computer system to that references Obadiah Stane being a bad guy. Right? She, she needs evidence. Mm -hmm. you, you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. That whole scene, the tension. When she's got her little thumb drive in there, she's stealing data, looking through stuff, and realizing that Obadiah Stane is the one that put the hit out on Tony Stark. The realization on her face, first of all, good job there, Gwyneth Paltrow. But the minute Obadiah Stane comes in, is like, I see what you're doing there. We got to talk about that. And you don't know if he knows or not. Like, I'm pretty sure he knows that she's doing something. He just doesn't know what yet. But the way he moves around the room, like a snake weeding, slithering up until it can get close enough to attack, is just masterful. While still maintaining face, because he doesn't know if she knows. Right? Like, the way he says stuff is this, we know he's a bad guy at this point, so it's, like, terrifying the things he's saying. But also, they could seem perfectly CEO-friendly type of thing 
where it's like, hey, I caught you in my office. You're probably not supposed to be in here. But we know each other, so I'm like kind of just disappointed in you. And he plays it so well. Like the tension is so good. And then when he finally realizes he turns on his computer as she's walking out and realizes what she found and his little like, it's like a five-second meltdown, and it's so good. It is a very good moment. That whole scene, just pump it into my veins. Hook it up with an IV and just let it play. I love it. Love that moment. Holds up so well for me. Another thing that holds up really well for me is Tony Stark's not perfect. Like, not just Tony Stark. Iron Man's not perfect. Because this is his first time in the suit. So, it's like, hey, when he doesn't think about the freezing of the suit, mm-hmm. and he has to go back and fix it. In the end battle, when he's fight, fighting Ironmonger, and the fact that like as he's losing power, he comes and he hits a rail and flips over it. And when he's first testing out the flights and all that stuff, like he's really uneven and unsure. Like, I love those little moments. Those little moments of like, this dude's an ultra billionaire genius. And he's still fallible. It makes him not a Mary Sue. Exactly. Iron when Man, this character could definitely be a Mary Sue. Yeah. Iron Man in the comics is, is at points known as the invincible Iron Man. After he gets good at everything. Yet not here. He definitely is not invincible here. He, he, can, he can get beat. Dude gets hit with a motorcycle because he's too stupid to see it coming. Mm-hmm. He should have saw it coming. Should have done something about it. But he couldn't because he's not perfect. And that's one thing that holds up. It, what I think that's why people really related to Tony Stark and why he took off as, like, the de facto leader of the MCU. Like, I know your movie came first, but that doesn't mean you're the leader or, like, the best character or the most beloved character. But the way they wrote him in this movie, making him so relatable and so charming, just really made people attached to him, and that's why he became so beloved. And I love that aspect of this movie. And then what really holds up, too, is the bad guy, just throughout the whole thing. Obadiah Stane is just, I've already sung his praises when we talked about Jeff Bridges playing him, but he is written so well. He's menacing, but in a way of like, yeah, he's the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. Of course he's got to be a little tough. But then the way he acts around Tony sometimes, like he's got that softer side to him, but then he can turn on a dime and just snap. And it's so good. Yeah. And I really like the pacing of this movie, like you said. It's just so good. I love the opening where it's like he's in an, he's in a Humvee, in a military escort, in another country, in a war zone, and they're having a good time joking, and he gets blown up. And then we go back in time, and we start over, and we show how he got to that point. And that is fantastic filmmaking. It gets me every time. As soon as that explosion happens and it goes to black and then we go back to him being a playboy, like at the beginning when he's not there to accept his award, I always, I'm like, damn it. You had me again. I just want to see what happens after he gets exploded. (laughs) Yet I love all the stuff that leads to it. Which is hilarious because you hate flashback scenes. I hate flashback, but this isn't a flashback scene. But it is. This is where the movie should have started. But it didn't. But they tricked you and they gave you this little extra hmm at the beginning. 
and then show you how we get there. So yes, it's kind of like a flashback, but it's like a super extended flashback. Mm-hmm. And I just love it. Still a flashback. I just love it. <laughs> uh, you can call it whatever you want. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Next is the what doesn't hold up section. Uh-huh. So talk to me about the things that don't hold up for you. Uh, one of the things that doesn't hold up for me, uh, Tony's womanizing. Just don't care for it at all, which I also don't get how that is somehow fixed by his time away. Like being held captive also fixed your just wanting to do every woman you come across. I don't think it was so much that it fixed it, but it fixed his life, made him see things clearer, made him have a different focus. So he wasn't running around being a billionaire playboy anymore. He was running around being a billionaire superhero. He didn't have time to sleep around. I guess. Plus, all of a sudden, he comes back and he looks at Pepper Potts and goes, damn, I missed her. Wait, why did I miss her so much? Do I love her? Should I be with her? And now all of a sudden, Pepper Potts is super important. Yeah, he's not going to sleep around then. (laughs) I don't think it's so much it fixed his womanizing. It just made him focus. Yeah. And then um, some of the logistics makes absolutely no sense. And all of my logistics problems are super nitpicky, so I'm going to save that for our uh, knit orchard, as we're as we call it. Just doesn't make sense to me. So I will I will get to that then because it's all super nitpicky. Uh, two other things that are that don't work uh, don't hold up for me are segways because they do use segways and it made me chuckle because I'm like I remember when that was. Uh, popular they're not anymore (laughs) and then um small moment but the the tv segment all about how you know you should sell your stock of tony stark that just doesn't hold up those kind of shows just aren't a thing anymore like how over emphasizing everything that host was doing just doesn't really happen so much anymore so that kind of ages it that, mo- that TV show, Mad Money, because that's also on my doesn't hold up list. Mm-hmm. Uh, that show is, I can't remember if that's the actual show, but I do remember a show like that being on CNN and people were crazy for it at the time. Like that's where they got their news and their money advice from a show like that. And yeah, I think but it that's was also the time of like TMZ and like behind the scenes of TMZ. But that's not that's that's stock stuff. There's no, no TMZ I know. stuff. What are you talking but about? He acts as if he was on TMZ. That the host of that show on on this movie. That's how ridiculous this guy was being. I don't think you've ever watched TMZ. I've watched some of those shows. Yes. That's not how they act at all on TMZ. They don't throw cups and smash things and go crazy. We talk. All right, move on. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh pretty much it for my does it hold up doesn't hold up moment except for uh Rhodes being a different actor. Well, yeah, obviously. All right, so what doesn't hold up for me in Iron Man is I don't really like anything to do with Tony's personal life outside of him being Iron Man. I'm just kind of like, it's interesting, but once he starts building the suit, I just want him in the suit. I want to focus on building the suit. I don't care about all the other stuff. Like, whatever. 
there are moments between Pepper Potts and Tony Stark where I'm like, eh, the flirting is kind of cute, but overall I'm like, yo, no. This <laughs> just doesn't work for me. I don't... The fact that they don't end up together by the end of this movie is why I think it doesn't work for me. It's like, you can't... You're basically... You remember that old commercial with the guy... In the fishing hook? With the fishing pole, and he puts a dollar on it, and he's like, ooh, you almost got it. And yeah. He keeps pulling it away. That's what their relationship felt like in this movie, and I'm totally okay with that. If by the end of the movie, we're, we're there, and or, like, 1% away from there. Yeah. Where it's like, you know they're going to immediately get together in, like, the beginning of the next movie. But we're not even there. So it's like, what is all the flirting for? It's fair. So it just, it, that bothers me, where I'm like, ah. You guys could have just been more friendly, and then we could have explored the relationship in future movies, but you went there, and so I got to deal with it, even though I don't want to. Although, I do love a lot of the testing of his second suit, the Mark II. It's also really bad. A lot of stuff that happens during that, like, okay, at one point when he goes to test flight, he flies into the wall behind him. Well, not even the wall. It's like the ceiling wall. It's this weird slanted thing in mm-hmm. his basement. And he flies into that like face first and then falls to the ground. Probably like a seven foot drop, six foot drop. Sure. That's hospital. You're going to the hospital then. The movie should come to a stop right then and jumped ahead like three months after he healed some broken bones. <laughs> and it doesn't. It's just like immediately he's like, no, nah, I'm cool. Let's go. Let's make a joke. And another thing that doesn't hold up for me, I this movie started the whole trend and it's one of the things I don't like about the MCU overall is jokes. Jokes upon jokes. Tony Stark doesn't take anything serious. He is quippy. Yeah, but it doesn't work all the time. Sometimes you got to bring it down a little bit. And I don't think he does that enough in this movie. This is a more grounded movie than most every other movie in the MCU. Things start getting a little crazy after this movie when we're bringing gods and actual superpowers and all that. So you can't really ground that anymore. This one could be grounded. Like, the Iron Man suit could be built. In fact, like, one of the Mythbusters, I don't remember which one, says that he built a suit or something cost a lot of money or like he he designed the suit and like figured out all the logistics to do it and it would cost a lot of money but it's possible like it's possible to become iron man and yet this movie because he's so quippy and so out of reality sometimes it takes away from that groundedness does it make sense it does you're kind of looking at me like that doesn't make sense it makes sense i just don't agree really yeah. What do you mean? Like, tell me. I think this plot is so heavy that you needed something that was that light in the movie. You needed his quips to kind of keep it at a central balance. Because otherwise, it gets dark quick. I guess. Just my other issue is like, dude, you just went through this harrowing experience of nearly losing your life and being held hostage for three months. And the first thing you do when you come back is make a joke about how you want a cheeseburger? Sarcasm is a coping mechanism. Absolutely. I completely understand that. It's just weird sometimes. It's a little off-putting for me. And I'm sure it's off-putting for some other people, too. I mean, to be fair, he's probably also just putting on a bravado for people. You would think that until we get to the next scene where he's at the press conference 
and he starts getting really somber with everybody, being like, I never said bye to my dad, and I would have asked him all these questions about the company and what he did. And it's like, so why why did you make a quip about wanting a cheeseburger in front of the two people that are the closest to you? Because he might actually want a cheeseburger. But then you get in front of like strangers and you're all like, all right, guys, can we be serious for a second? I just think sometimes he was a little up and down. It didn't always, what he was doing didn't always fit the scene. That's all. That's fair. That's all. All right. You got anything else that doesn't hold up? Nothing major. All right. So. She already referenced it, but we have a new little section here. And basically, we are going to the knit orchard. Yes, the knit orchard. And that's basically because we're going to be getting nitpicky and picking some knits. And where do you pick stuff? At an orchard. It makes sense in my head. If it doesn't make sense to you guys, let us know on Twitter. We're funny. We're, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm punny. All right, guys? I'm punny. So we're going to the knit orchard. So give me some knits that you picked. That first suit that he made was so unrealistic in the fact that he, it should not have been as bulletproof as it ended up being. Like, th- there's giant holes for his eyes. Like, there's giant gaps that he should have probably been shot and killed. That's only if you have good aim with the gun. Yeah, but how much gunfire was going at him, you, you'd you be surprised, I feel like, on just accidentally hitting that. Talk to some veterans about being in a in a war zone and having bullets fly everywhere and you don't get hit. And you don't even have armor. It's possible. I know. It's just I get it. unlikely. You're, I know. You're picking nits. You're I'm nitpicking. picking nits. But I'm just, I'm I'm arguing back a little bit. All right. What's your next one? Uh, how was Ro- uh, Rhodey on the copter that found Tony? Like, how is that even, like, logistically possible? Because Rhodes was over there, probably uh-huh. looking for Tony, or uh-huh. at least helping in the search. And as soon as they found him, he probably said, I'm going, and got on the chopper and went. But they didn't, unless, like, you're telling me that they found him on, like, satellite. I think or they something. found him on a satellite. Okay. Because knowing their exact location, knowing his exact location to land like that doesn't really seem like it was just flying over and they happened to see a body and went, hey, maybe that's him. I think they found him, and Rhodey went to go get him. Okay, because... That that's just, just my opinion, so yeah. I completely understand why it's a nitpick for you. Mm-hmm. But that's just my opinion. Uh, another one of mine is... Tony should have died on his icing incident during his first flight. There would have been no oxygen for him. Like, he should have died. He would not have been in the right mindset to be able or to... Or at least passed out. That's what I mean. He'd have been passed out. He wouldn't have been able to open up the thing to break the ice. He he would have fallen to the ground and died. Basically, my nitpicks are he should have died in this movie. Like, a million times over. Okay, so we should... If you guys follow us on any of our socials, we should figure out how to have a movie night with you guys all. We should watch this movie. And I will just say out loud, every time Tony Stark should probably die. Because it's more than you think. It's been a running joke of watching movies where you just say, and dead, to when someone should have died in a movie. Or been very seriously injured. Yeah. And it never happens, but it should. Seriously, it should. (laughs) Those are my main nitpicks. Uh, How about you? All right. I got three little nitpicks. They are so minuscule, but let's let's go through them. Okay. One of mine is Tony should have died. (laughs) 
Okay. But I'm talking about a different time. Okay. After he escapes the cave, uh-huh. he flies off in the Mark I suit. Yeah. And then it loses power and he crashes. Uh-huh. And the suit, when we see him on the ground, the suit is scattered everywhere. Yeah. And he's half buried in sand. Yeah. And then he gets up and walks away. Yeah. Dude, you just fell. I don't give a crap that your suit is made of iron or some kind of metal or whatever. You just fell like a hundred plus feet and are half buried in sand. How did you even get out of the sand? You ever been buried in sand? You know how hard that is? It is so hard. (laughs) That man is dead. Seriously. He did not survive that first crash. The rest of this movie is fake. Uh And and his lucid dream, well, he is dying in the desert. Don't take away my imagine if. (laughs) All right. My next one is an unpowered suit. I'm gonna, I'm right there with you with the icing. So when the icing happens, when he's taking his first uh, test flight in his new suit, he gets all iced up going into the atmosphere. And then the suit gets powered down because of it, and he's falling to Earth. But he's kicking his legs and arms and flailing all about. You know how heavy that suit would be? That man is not moving that stuff. Without power. The whole point is that he can move the suit because it's powered. Because it's an assisted piston system that helps him move. Once the suit's powered down, that is way too heavy for that man to be kicking and flailing around like he's a little kid throwing a tantrum. Well, that could be explained away kind of by like the air messing with it. That is that man kicking. It does not look like air. I'm just saying. If it was air, they would have just went straight up. That man is flailing everywhere. Just bothers me. Every time I see that scene, I'm like, dude, no. I mean, he has the weightless feeling, you know? It's all weightless because he's falling to the earth. No. <laughs> My last nit that I picked is when Tony, when Obadiah Stane paralyzes him and rips out his heart. Mm-hmm. And he has to go to the basement to get a new heart. Yeah. First of all, how'd you get to the basement? We just gloss over that? Did yeah. you just roll down the stairs? Well, no, did you he went wait in an for elevator. the elevator? Yeah, he went in an elevator. How did you reach the buttons? Eh, he was kind of kind of walking at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Then he then he's on the ground, and he's walking. He's crawling past his car trying to get to this heart. And he comes across a little roller. It's one of those, like, I don't even know what they're called, but it's a little board that you lay on to, like, roll underneath cars when you're doing work. Mm-hmm. And he just pushes it out of the way. Like, that could really help you, dude. And continues crawling. Dude, get on that thing and roll your ass over there. You get there a lot faster. And then when you can't reach up to get it, you can use that roller thing to hit the the, the table, table or whatever and knock it off. Yeah. Why are you just pushing it out? Why was that there? Like, if he's not going to use it, just don't put it in the scene. Come on. Yeah. Come on, John Favreau. You're better than that. <laughs> all right. That's all, that's all my nitpicks. Awesome. All right. Next up, we got a new section called Imagine Ifs. We're getting rid of our what if section because that was always just based on, like, what if this actor was this character instead? But I'm changing it up a little bit. We're still going to add some of that in based on research. But I wanted to add in a little, like, throw each other an Imagine If. Imagine mm-hmm. if this happened instead. How would that change things? Yeah. Just to see. I'm going I'm to play around with this and see what it's like. So my first imagine if is actually a real one. It's imagine if Tom Cruise 
was Tony Stark because it almost happened. I could see him doing it, but like like you said earlier, RDJ just kind of is Tony Stark. So I could he could have pro- he probably would have done fine with it. I just don't know that it would necessarily have been as iconic. I want to see it. I want to see it for one fact and one fact only. Hmm. All the Mission Impossible movies. Tom Cruise is like, I got to do my own stunts. I got to push it to the limit. I got to do all this. Tom Cruise would have been like, guys, I need a real Iron Man suit. Yeah. Put me in it and I will fly around with a camera. Yeah. That's the only reason I wanted to do it. Because <laughs> I, I want to see what weird stunt he would have come up with. All right. What do you got? Well, you kind of already ruined mine. Uh, my what if was uh, Tony actually died in the desert. The rest of the whole MCU is his hallucinations as he's dying. That's why they keep, all the movies and everything keep getting crazier and crazier as it goes. How do you explain the movies after Endgame when he dies? Yeah, he can still be seeing it. Now he's just watching it as a ghost? Yeah, I mean, like literally the entire MCU, even movies he's not even in. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. It makes me a little uneasy. (laughs) I feel like that's always one of the theories is someone's dead and the entire movie was just his hallucination. So I took it a step further and said, what if the entire MCU is a hallucination? But then at some point you have to zoom in on a dog who has like really shifty eyes just to let you know something's amiss. Yeah, there's just a top that keeps spinning. Yeah. Cobb from Inception just shows up and he's like, ooh, my bad, wrong dream, and walks out. <laughs> exactly. All right, here's my other imagine if. Okay. Imagine if Iron Man the movie failed at the box office and there is no MCU. Imagine the landscape of film today without Iron Man working. Mm-hmm. I think we probably would have gone back to like Westerns. <laughs> you think so? We we would have had like a Western Renaissance or something like that. You needed something to like keep it going forward, and obviously, you know, uh, like vampires had their run, zombies had their run, like all. There's do you always. Think, do you think DC kind of claims that crown? Do you think they come in with like 2008 was the same year Batman Begins comes out, mm-hmm. the new Batman movie that was everybody loved that trilogy. Do you think DC, because there's no Marvel to fight against, do you think they jump on that and make the DC universe and no. it takes off? No, because I I think they still would have been just as like all over the place as they kind of are now. Like It feels like they only really brought up the DCEU because they saw how MCU was succeeding and were like, ah, crap, how we should probably do that. How profitable it could be. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I think they would have kept going with their animated movies, which are... Fabulous, by the way. My one last question about if it failed. Mm -hmm. Do you think movies, like, we're getting a new Avatar movie this year. Avatar Mm -hmm. The Way of the Water. James Cameron hasn't made a movie, I think, since Avatar. Yeah. Do you think he speeds up that process? Do Mm. you think some of these movies that kind of took a while to come, do you think they get moved up because they're not fighting against this, this juggernaut of a franchise? So they're like, hey, we got it. Let's in these theaters or these studios put out their massive films earlier. Either that or they don't exist at all. I feel like the MCU has kind of pushed forward a lot of what like visual effects and everything like that. They've really like pushed film in such a unique way 
that a lot of series or movies just wouldn't have been even thought up. Although I will say that I think Star Wars probably would have had like its 19th movie by now. Right. So we got (laughs) the first Star Wars after the prequels in I think 2015 is when The Force Awakens comes out. I have no idea, honestly. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's somewhere around like 2015. Yeah, you're normally so either seven, on point or like a year or two off. Yeah, so seven years after Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Do you think if Iron Man fails, Disney scoops up Star Wars and puts that out and tries that as a franchise? Tries to like bring that back to and make 29 Star Wars movies all interconnected? I could see it. Okay. I could see it, honestly. That's, that's all I got. You got any more Imaginifs? No. All right, I got one more then. Okay. Okay. So... We just talked about RDJ and how he's kind of quippy and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But everybody else around him is kind of a straight man. Nobody else really has jokes. Usually that doesn't happen. You always get in movies the one-upsmanship, right? Like you had a fun joke. I got to overact this part or I got to beat you. I got to stand out. Sure. So imagine if every other actor in this movie tried to be on RDJ's level with the wit and the quickness. I don't even have to imagine that. That's pretty much all the Avengers movies after the first one. That's like every single MCU movie now is everyone trying to one-ups the next person with their quips. So I don't even have to imagine it. I've seen it. It's terrible. And then the movie stop fails. It. Just stop it. I'm looking at you, Thor. And then and then the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't exist because this movie fails because everybody hates all the quips? Yes. Man. Okay. I either that or they like it for this one, but it gets old really quick. Right. Like it took a while to get old because it wasn't happening as frequent as it does in every single movie now. Yeah. Like if you guys watch She-Hulk, the newest Disney plus MCU show, Mm -hmm. that was literally a one-upsmanship game. It was that every side character had to one-up our main character who had to one-up themselves episode to episode. And by the end, it was just like, stop it. Yeah. It's like beating a dead horse. It's already dead. Move on. Yeah. Okay. That was it. That's all I had for the Imaginists. Just some fun things for you to think about. If you guys out there listening think about this stuff and have answers to or want to weigh in on what these Imaginists are, you can hit us up on the socials, especially Twitter. Does it hold up one three? That's a great place to interact with us. If we start getting more interaction on that platform, we might end up starting our own Discord where you guys can come join us and talk to us live and chat about all this good stuff. All right, moving on. New section again. What's your hot take with this movie? What's your controversial hot take about Iron Man? My hot take is uh, that there's no way that Tony isn't prosecuted for everything that he does in this film. And that his suit is uh, taken away and the rest of the MCU doesn't really exist. Damn. Yeah. He really should have gotten in a lot of trouble for everything that happens in this movie. Damn. Yeah. You went there. I went there. Damn. Yeah. That's all I got. I don't know how to follow up with that. I mean, like, there's no way that those Sokovia Accords don't happen way earlier. I mean, I know they try to take him to court in the second movie, but, like... He, he should have won. Yeah, he should. They should have won against him. Like, he kills people in that suit. Oh yeah, he so much damage. Like, who paid for that? Did he pay for that? No idea. Like, he admits he's Iron Man at the end. I'm surprised they didn't come to him and just ev- the city started suing him for all the property damage, every single thing, and all the people that died or were seriously injured. You know what? I don't even know if that's as controversial as you might think it is. 
I think most people would probably agree with you. Dude should have been prosecuted for yeah. being Iron Man. Yeah. Here's my hot take. Ready? Yeah. The Marvel Cinematic Universe peaked with this movie. Oof. It peaked. Nah, I'll, I'll disagree. 100% Marvel downhill from here. It has ups. It definitely has ups. Like the first Avengers in 2012 is an up. I was going to say the first Avengers. Infinity War and Endgame as a duo is an up. But this is the mountaintop. This is the peak for the MCU. I disagree. This is the perfect origin story where it's not so origin focused that we lose track of other things. They don't spend too much time doing bullshit. Acting's good across the board. Storytelling's good across the board. Everything about this movie works for the most part. Well, I think the best thing about this movie is that it wasn't trying to be interconnecting with everything else. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. It didn't feel like it needed to connect to... Seven other movies and three TV shows. And set up things that are, aren't going to even happen for the next 20 movies. Yep. So that's my hot take. I can kind of see it, but I, I don't agree. With Iron, with their very first movie, they peaked. <laughs> Premature box office. I can't wait for the hate that you're going to get for that. Oh, it's gonna, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Normally we have questions here. You got questions? I have two. I have zero. So hit me with your questions. All right. Uh, first question is, why doesn't Tony get surgery when he gets back to remove the shrapnel? Tony's an idiot. For being a genius... He's an idiot. Like, obviously they can do it. They do it in one of the future films. Iron Man 3. So. But here's the thing. Iron Man 3 is years later. Maybe the technology and the surgical procedure wasn't existent at the time. Hmm. Maybe they had to get there. Hmm. I know, weird take, but, you know, I'm trying to defend it a little bit. Yeah. Good question. Next. My other question is, just how did he not die? (laughs) Like, that is the question of the movie... How does he not die in like the seventeen different times in which his well, life? According was to on your imagine if he did die, I and think we're he watching did. a fever dream. I think he did because there is no way this man, this human, this average guy that you said in this movie survives half of the things that happen to him physically. Because yes, he is not average mentally, but he is average physically, and he should have died. In like 16 different ways. 5,000 times. Yeah. Like every five seconds, it's just dead. In like very unique ways. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything for that. There, that is an unanswerable question. How did he not die? I, yeah, I got nothing. Like the rest of the movies make sense because he has the better armor or whatever, but still. If you guys, if you guys have an idea of how he didn't die, let us know. I'm dying to know. Like, I need the fan theory, like, 30-minute YouTube video the thing. Here, on I got every you. instance of what exactly happened that well, he didn't die. Let's make it. We'll put it out. We'll make it. <laughs> All right. No, come follow us on YouTube. We put out some good content. That won't be one of them. No, but... because I don't think it exists. No, I don't I think we it's can possible. Make it. We can make it. I know. I just I'm say I gonna, don't think it's possible. We could. <laughs> um, yeah, that's definitely unanswerable, but I want to know everybody's theory on why, but I'm going to give you a theory on why okay. he didn't die. Tony Stark has super soldier serum in him, and he just doesn't know it. That's the intelligence. His dad worked on the super soldier serum. He's got some of it, injected it into his kid, 
as a safety precaution. That's where the intelligence and everything comes from. We're, we're getting some more imaginifs because then it could also be that he is friends with the Watcher. As in Hugh. Yeah, but that's that's a little like ways out or mine's a little more grounded. Mine's a little more plausible that his dad could have actually done that. Him being friends with a dude who lives on the moon, who watches over everything, is a little odd. There, a little he, out there. He could have been changing things. You don't I'm know. I'm just saying. You don't know. But I'm just saying, that's my theory. Maybe he has a little. And I'm not talking about, like, full dose. Like, he's Captain America. I'm just talking about he got a little bit. He got a little taste of it. They dripped, like, three drops into his <laughs> bottle as a baby. It's like Hercules. <laughs> three drops. Three drops. All right. All right. Moving on. Last section we got before we go into final thoughts. The awards. Yeah. You guys love the awards. You guys hate the awards. I don't know, but we're going to keep doing them. They exist. They exist. All right. First award that I have is the most replayable scene. Mm-hmm. What do you got? I know you, you kind of bashed on the scene, but it is the building and testing of the Mark II for me. But that's not a scene. That's like 20 minutes of the movie. That's a sequence. Which that is scene? a scene. It's a replayable scene, not a sequence. It's What's him the most te- replayable scene? That, for me, is a scene, but it's him, like, testing flight for the first. Like, not the Where he, like, flies over the time, cars? But, yeah. Okay. That's a scene. You can't just say the entire testing. I mean, That's more than I one think scene. I can. I'm making the rules now. False. I think I can. I made the rules about the awards. You can't break them. Who are, you, who, are you, who are you, Tony Stark? You think you can just break the rules? Yes. They don't exist? That's it. We're going to court. <laughs> Suing you for damages. I'm outside the law. <laughs> All right. My most replayable scene is, and you're, I'm going to break my own rule right here, because it's two scenes back to back. Uh-huh. Killing the terrorists, fighting the F-22s, the Raptors. That feels like a whole sequence, too. That's a scene. Him fighting the, the things is a scene. Mm-hmm. You can pick any of them. Actually, my most replayable moment of all of that that I just said is where the raptors are flying and they've lost him. And then the one raptor goes to turn and he's attached to the belly of the jet. <laughs> Gets me every time. I love it. Great visual. CGI's on point there and just makes me laugh because it's funny but it's also so plausible because he doesn't want to fight. And where else can you hide in the sky? Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. It's not like he's going to go hang out behind a cloud. Though totally implausible. I don't think he'd been able to grab onto the, the plane like that. But yeah. Well, he could, but he would have had to damage the plane. But that's why as soon as he rolls, mm-hmm. he just starts sliding off immediately because he doesn't actually have a grip. He's just attached to it in a way that like his his propulsion is matching their propulsion so he can stay there. And he's kind of stabling, stabilizing himself with touch. I really like the moment that he goes into the nosedive to uh, make the other guys shoot open up. That's a great moment as well. So that's my most replayable thing. If, if he's in the dogfight with the Raptors, mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm watching the rest of the movie from here on out. All right. Cool? Cool. All right. Oh, the what? Award for <laughs> the weirdest line or the weirdest line read. Yes. Give it to me. Uh, the Tony Stark built this in a cave moment from Obadiah Stane. Oh, I love that moment. It 
it is just so like it makes sense in the scene, but it also doesn't because it's so out of nowhere and it's so extreme. But it it works, and it's just ridiculous every time. It gets me every time. That it's like it's so good, but it's so like he snaps on a dime mm-hmm. where it's just like we're having a conversation, we're having a conversation. Did you just say you can't do something? (laughs) So, like, I totally get it. Um, So, yeah. My what award Mm -hmm. goes to Iron Man being caught by Pepper Potts taking off the suit. (laughs) Let's face it. This is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Yeah. It is an awkward line. With really awkward innuendo. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, who thought that was a good idea? It makes me chuckle every time. And the way he reads it is like, he has so much personality and character in the rest of the movie. And that line comes across just so flat. (laughs) He probably was like, I don't care about this line either. So (laughs) just going to throw it out there. The the part that gets me about that moment all the time has nothing to do with the actors or that terrible line read. It has to do with all the machines stopping and also looking at Pepper Potts like they got caught doing something. <laughs> Cracks me up every time. Every but time. It's a terrible line read, so that gets my what award. Mm-hmm. Do you have a scientist award? I don't have one. I don't either. Okay, good. Skip. <laughs> all right, so we're going to go into the two new awards for this movie and maybe some movies going forward. It's the Stanley Tucci Award. And if you guys don't know, I love Stanley Tucci. Huge part fan, of the Tucci part gang. Part of the Tucci gang. If you guys don't know that, go watch the SNL skit, Tucci gang. It's hilarious. But I always forget Stanley Tucci's in movies. All of a sudden, I see Stanley Tucci or somebody points him out, and they're like, hey, did you know Stanley Tucci's in this movie? And I'm like, who? Who is he? He just gets lost in the roles. He and I blends forget. in so well to every role that he does that you just don't see him. Because there's a lot of actors out there that you immediately think of the actor Brad Pitt is always Brad Pitt before you think of the character but Stanley Tucci he's a great actor and this award is not about acting skill it's about the idea that you forgot that person was in the movie so it's the Stanley Tucci award uh-huh. I have two of them well good because I don't have one perfect <laughs> so first up I have Peter Billingsley you probably don't recognize the name no. most people probably don't recognize the name but if you've ever seen the movie A Christmas Story which every year they play for 24 hours on, like, TBS. Great Christmas movie. I've avoided it. A Christmas story. Great Christmas movie. <laughs> He's the lead character. He's Ralphie. Okay. And he plays the scientist that Obadiah Stane yells at. Ah. Who then appears again in Spider-Man Far From Home as the same character. But it's like, I, every time, I just forget you're there. Like, I know the scientist exists. But I forget that it's Peter Billingsley, an actual, like, known actor mm-hmm. playing that role. That's forget great. it every time. And then this is just a fun one because it's like, this guy's not an actor. But he wanted to be in this movie because he's on the soundtrack for Iron Man 1 and 2. He's on the soundtrack for a lot of movies, but he's on the soundtrack for Iron Man 1 and 2. And they gave him a little part in this. But it's Tom Morello. What was he? Do you know the name? Not really. Tom Morello is the guitarist. Mm-hmm. For Audio Slave and Rage Against the Machine. Oh. He was a guard. <laughs> he just he was he was the very first guard that Tony kills in the Mark I suit in the cave. Oh, he wow. has like 
five seconds of screen time, but they show his face. And every time I watch it, I'm like, why do I care about this singular guy who's about to die? And then I have to remind myself, oh yeah, that's Tom Morello. They just wanted to put his face on screen because he's Tom Morello. <laughs> so they, they get to split my Stanley Tucci award. That's fair. Next up is the... Mark Hanna Award. And if you guys don't know who Mark Hanna is, that is the name of the character Matthew McConaughey plays in The Wolf of Wall Street. And the re- this award is for the person who steals the scene that they're in or scenes that they're in. They just have to be a scene stealer. Mm-hmm. So this is the Mark Hanna Award. Go. Agent Coulson. Ooh. What? <laughs> any, any particular scene or just... Just pretty much any time he's on scene because he has this just cool confidence about him that is just like, I know things that you will never know and I can handle anything that comes my way. That's fair. Like he exudes that the entire... Confidence. Entire movie. Confidence is key. Yep. All right. Mine goes to a really big actor in this. Hmm. That's shocking. It's Jeff Bridges. Okay. As Obadiah Stane. And he gets my scene stealing award... Because I'm pretty sure that man thinks he's in an Oscar movie. Like, he's going to go into award season, and people are going to be like, oh, my God, have you seen this movie? It's, like, the best movie of the year, and it's going to get all the... The way he plays that character, it fits the movie, but he chews that scenery and acts it up like it's the next big Oscar-baited movie, and I love it so much. (laughs) So he gets my scene stealer because every scene he's in, I can't I can't stop looking at him. Fair. I can't stop listening to him. Just I mean, who could? Pull everybody else out of the scene. Let him play all the parts. <laughs> all right. And into our final two awards. It's the Jar Jar Binks Award for the one specific thing that held up the worst since the movie's release. What do you got? Rhodes. James Rhodes. Yeah. Well, the particular actor who played that character. And why? It just, I guess because I've seen where it can go with someone else at the helm, that it this portrayal just does not hold up for me. Interesting, interesting. Okay. What about you? My Jar Jar Binks Award goes to the entire final fight in this movie. Dang. Because Iron Man is basically fighting a larger Iron Man. Uh Uh-huh. And Marvel, this movie worked. And Marvel was like, put that shit on repeat. And every movie, you gotta fight somebody who's got the same kind of powers as you. You gotta fight somebody who's same as you. And they just kept hitting it. Again, they beat that dead horse. It died at the end of this movie. And they just kept beating that dead horse. And every time I see it, I'm just like, so this is where it all started. This is who we have to blame. And I hate it. Hate it so much. I mean, Thor didn't have to go against another Asgardian. He had to go against a machine. He had to go against Loki. The bad guy is Loki, who's also a magic-wielding god. The machine is just another obstacle in the way. Mm -hmm. But the actual bad guy is Loki. All I'm saying, it's it, the same on same doesn't really bother movie. me so much. It's more so like 
if you had something that was like super out of the blue, it just, it wouldn't seem to work as well. I don't even care that like it could be Jeff Bridges. It could be anything, but why does he have to build an Iron Man suit? Why does he have to build a better, bigger, badder Iron Man suit? I mean, doesn't that happen in the comics? Yes, but you didn't have to do it here. This is not the comics. I guess. And it's not so much that they, they did it here. I hate that they did it here, but they did it. And it's not just, it's, it's DC does it. Everybody does it. They always have to fight somebody who's the same. Look at the Mission Impossible Fallout, right? Not even connected to comic books. But at the end of that movie, it's Ethan Hunt's Tom Cruise versus Henry Cavill's, whatever the hell his name was. They're both secret agent spies. And they're both great hand-to-hand combat and can do their Mary Sues. They can do everything. And they have to fight each other at the end. I mean, if you don't have an even playing field, then what's even the point? Because it happens all the time. Like, if you're all about brawn, like, Thor is all about brawn. He should be fighting a mad genius. Because that's interesting. I guess if everyone genius, just wants to fight the fight Nega person, you know, how, yeah. from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, exactly. It's Nega whatever. Nega Scott. Nega Iron Man. I <laughs> it's just, this is where it started, and I hate it. And it holds up terribly for me. Mostly because... I think Ironmonger, the one part where they open up Ironmonger's suit and Jeff Bridges is inside of it, CGI is amazing there. Mm-hmm. Like, Infinity War needs to take a lesson from that because Mark Ruffalo's tiny, itty-bitty little head in the Hulk sma- Hulkbuster suit is absolutely ridiculous considering that came out like 15 years later after this movie. Not really 15 years because it hasn't even been 15 years. But you know what I mean. That looks really good. But the Ironmonger is just boring suit. It doesn't look good all the time. I don't even know how it functions. It makes zero sense. Yeah. So I just hate it. I hate all it. Right. It's the same, same fight. All right. And then our final award of the evening, before we go into final thoughts, is our Paul Rudd Award for the thing that held up the best since the movie's release. What do you got? You've already argued with me on this one, but uh, the visual effects for me. Hmm, I think it just looks really good compared to Wait. other things that came out at around a similar time. When did I argue with you? You said it gets janky in some parts. Yeah, there are some parts. Yeah, that, that's you. Like when thinking. Iron Man holds the car at the end during the final battle, that doesn't look great. Eh, it looked fine. But... I've seen worse atrocities. Absolutely. But with that said, mine also goes to the CGI. <laughs> the, the suit in particular, because when he shows up to kill all the terrorists... That's a real suit. Like, you can't tell me otherwise. Yeah. When he's flying against the Raptors, that's a real suit. You can't tell me otherwise. When he's flying up into space and starts icing over, real suit. Like, it looks so good. Like, I saw stuff in the later Thor movies, like Ragnarok and Thor Love and Thunder, which we're not even going to talk about that Mm, piece of crap. Mm. That looked worse than this. And they came out 14 years, Thor Love and Thunder's 14 years later. And the CGI looks worse than this movie. Yeah. So, yes, it's janky in parts, but it is so good. So good. So, all right, go into final thoughts, and then give me your decision. Okay. This is a really good movie. Like, it was a really good movie back when I came out, and it was a really good movie watching it again today for this podcast. It is so well edited, paced, the music's great. The visual effects are great. The story is great. The actors in it do a wonderful job. They are those characters just 
brought to life in such a vivid way that you're drawn into this story and it is great. Does this movie hold up for me? Yes. I'm not even putting it on the teeter-totter. It just, it holds up. I can't even feign it not holding up. (laughs) That's fair. All right. I love this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. It's arguably one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But with that said, there are a lot of things that don't work in this movie. There's a lot of things that come off shallow, superficial, odd, and it feels completely disconnected from everything that comes after it other than the end credit scene. But come on, guys, who are we kidding? This movie 100% holds up. I'm not even going to try to like lie anymore. <laughs> Nothing. It, it 100%. I was going to say, it didn't need to be connected with anything else. It was the first one. I know, but I just had to find some bad stuff so that it made it seem like I was going to say that it doesn't hold up. Yeah. It, it, I was it like, you're yeah, It definitely holds up. Um, it's, I mean, come on. My hot take is that this is where the MCU peaked. I can't say that and then turn around and say this movie doesn't hold up. Yeah. It, it holds up. If you've never seen it, watch it if you've seen it watch it again you don't even have to watch the rest of the movies just watch this one this is this is such a good what i love about this movie is my final thought what i love about this movie is every single marvel movie after this has to connect in some way they have to lead into something else they have to hint towards more there's a build building happening Mm -hmm. this movie you can watch all by itself and pretend that nothing else ever happened after this and this is still one hell of a good movie oh yeah it's still gorgeous to look at 14 years later it's still fun to watch you'll still laugh at parts you'll still grimace at parts you'll connect with these characters still and you can watch it and pretend nothing else ever existed and be perfectly satisfied it could be its own standalone movie which is more than you can say for pretty much every other mcu movie so, there you go, guys. That's unanimous. Mm-hmm. Iron Man holds up. Maybe we'll revisit this movie in another couple of years, see if it still holds up as stuff gets better and things change in the MCU. Yeah. We'll see. I kind of want to revisit some of the movies we've already done, just, you know, another year or two down the road, just to see kind of where they're at, see if we've changed our minds at all. Honestly... Things change so quickly that what is accepted one day could be completely unacceptable the next. So Exactly. Even just having like a decade or something being our our like general rule. Yeah, basically our our rule is right now that we just look at movies from a decade plus ago. Yeah. So come twenty twenty three we'll be able to look at movies that came out in twenty thirteen and before that. But honestly, we could make it like five years ago because there's stuff that was made five years ago that would not there's, hold up today. There's stuff that was made in January that doesn't hold up in November. So, so yeah, it's so we're definitely thinking about revisiting stuff. Not right now. There's tons of movies to cover, but so eventually. Many. All right. Well, you know the drill. Find us on all the socials. Twitter and Instagram are does it hold up one three. TikTok is does it hold up underscore between each word. YouTube and Facebook is just does it hold up. If you're not sure it's us, just look for the movie theater screen that says does it hold up with a question mark and the red seats. 
that's our profile pic. We use it on everything so that it's easy to find us. Come let us know if Iron Man holds up for you guys, how many times you've watched it, if it's your favorite Marvel movie. Let us know your hot take, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. We love the interaction. And until then, you guys know the rule, and that is to keep watching movies. Bye.